WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 141, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 1 of the beginning days, being the 141st part of That's What I'm Tolkien About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I am joined by Jude and Steffi of the A- Athra Beth podcast. Sorry, I can't read my own computer because I'm blind now. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> hey, hi, Mary Clay. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming on. Also, it's occurring to me now, or do you go by Steph or Steffi? Uh, I go by Steph. Yeah. Or whatever you oh call me. Oh my God. Person, I'm so sorry. That girl, horse lady, whatever you want. I'm like it. Ro- no, Rohan you go fan. by Steph because people get my name <laughs> wrong all the time. And I wrote that down. And as I was saying it, I was like, I don't think that's right. That's oh, like 100% it, my good. bad. <laughs> You're great. Um, well, I'm joined by Steph. Hi. And Jude. So there we go. Yay. Would you guys like to tell me and the listeners a little bit about your experience with Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and maybe how you got interested in it in the how you got interested in it in the first place and then what you guys do on your podcast? I've been a sort of a lifelong Tolkien fan in a very casual manner. Um, reading the Lord of the Rings was sort of an annual vacation read for me and then gosh a decade ago now um i stumbled across something called signum university it had a different name at the time but now it's called signum university which is run by the tolkien professor Corey olson Mm -hmm. um and i went off the ding dang deep end um (laughs) i signed up for a whole bunch of classes and neglected my work and just did nothing but that for like six months and uh it really exploded my interest in Tolkien in a whole new direction. Um, And then I got married and had a kid and my attempt to get a master's in Tolkien studies sort of derailed. But um, I, I have very much my, my interest in Tolkien very much took an academic hard right and that's where it's landed. So I've, I've sort of found myself in the Tolkien academia circles of the uh, community. uh, And that's where I've really uh, found my place. Um, There's so much, interesting scholarship being done i i had no idea before i i found myself there how deep that oh that yeah pool is there's so many mm-hmm. smart cool people doing such interesting writing and research about his stuff and you don't realize how much stuff there is either and it's just been a, a fantastic journey and uh that was the point at which i reached out to steph uh because steph was the biggest Lord of the Rings fan I knew other than myself. And I reached out and said, do you, do you want to do this podcast with me and dive into all that weird elf nonsense that, uh, people don't know is out there. Exactly. Well, so whilst Jude is our Tolkien scholar, I'm like our thirsty Tolkien casual fan <laughs> on our podcast. So, <laughs> Love it. you know, girl, we got it. We got it. It's it's a very thirsty book, I think, set of books. So, yeah, I mean, I started like most people with The Hobbit when I was a little kid. My mom read it to me in chapter at a 10. And then it honestly was not until like when Jude and I, we might be dating ourselves, but we were 
uh, we knew each other from high school and uh, the Fellowship of the Ring came out when I was a senior in high school and I saw it then and I was like, look at all the cute boys. What's this book about? And then, (laughs) and that's how I got into it. That was the first time I read um, the main trilogy and kind of went on from there. And Jude asked me to do this podcast with him and I literally ghosted him for a very long time because I was like oh maybe cool and then I never texted him back and I think like a year passed and finally was like okay seriously do you want to do this and Athrobeth was born it was around I think in 2018 maybe um Mm -hmm. and we just do one uh episode a month and it comes out on the first Wednesday of every month and it's the, the point of the podcast is a deep dive into the legendarium so everything outside the the main text uh as a way to introduce people again in a casual way like you do but to the more obscure weird stuff like for example the Atherbeth, like the name of our podcast which is one of Tolkien's many weird essays about philosophical things that I don't really understand but it's great Jude leads me through all these things and we've met so many wonderful people in the community like yourself um, and like on Twitter and all kinds of great places it's been awesome so that's the Steph's story. underselling herself as well. Uh, <laughs> over the last couple of years, Steph has really uh, grown enormously in her scholarship. Uh, half the ep- episodes we do these days, Steph researches and outlines, and uh, often she will dig up more obscure, weird papers and stuff. So don't let her don't let her <laughs> pretend to be Stop. some completely silly, casual fan that doesn't know anything. She's far more erudite than she lets on. I'm just here for the hotties, Mary Clay. I'm just here for the hotties. (laughs) (laughs) That's really great. Yeah, Steph, I think you and I are in a very similar boat where um, I, I mean, you started that your podcast having a, you know, foundation of knowing Lord of the Rings. I started knowing nothing, um, but I definitely, we've probably gone on similar journeys of like, it started out with us not knowing as much about what we talk about but now i'm like no i actually do know quite a bit yeah um however in my case i've actually now circled back to not knowing anything because i've like (laughs) forgotten it all (laughs) because it's been so long since i have read lord of the rings now um but yeah it's really that that's really great um and jude much like guiding steph on your podcast will be guiding us today and steph you will probably also be helping me as well um have you guys covered the silmarillion on your podcast or do you plan to not chapter by chapter but we very frequently dive into things uh in the Silmarillion, we tend to do like topic dives. We'll pick out something weird like what's up with elf souls or where do elves come from or what's up with death. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of go like, thematically that way. Yeah. Or uh, we also do lighter stuff. It's not all like, you know, Middle Earth eschatology. Sometimes we also do who are the hottest horse boys in Middle Earth. Yep. yep you know, yep. we have a we have a real range uh, mm-hmm. on our podcast yeah but we have never done the Silmarillion chapter by chapter like you're doing and so it was yeah. really awesome like to get ready for this recording to you know I didn't get through the I've re-read the Silmarillion but I didn't reread the whole thing but all the stuff around it to really go in and to go into this chapter in depth was very interesting and it's interesting how Tolkien likes to like weave some very big concepts into like one obscure run-on sentence and then never mentions it yeah. again oh my gosh <laughs> (laughs) yeah that's what we love him for though right (laughs) like 
That's why he's Tolkien. That's why he's our main dude. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the first official chapter of the Silmarillion. This is chapter one of the beginning days. And much like the title says, it tells us a little bit about what what happens um, on Arda after the Velar have come down here. Um, we learned all about who these people are in the previous chapter, and many of them are, of course, key characters in this chapter as well. So it starts off with um, kind of detailing a little bit about this battle between Melkor and the rest of the Valar. And it gets down to um, Tolkas, the strong, ends it, basically. He comes <laughs> down and immediately Melkor's yeah. like, bye-bye. I'm out, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Elbow no, drops out. Elbow drops in from the outside and just ends things. I actually really enjoy that, that Tolkas uh, in some of the, I, I can't remember if it's in, I think it's in the Ainulindula where it says he's, uh, he comes in expressly because he wants to rumble with, with more, with Melkor. Like he, he was not in Middle Earth to begin with, but he's like, oh, is there a fight? Tag me in. Yeah. Somebody yeah, say a fight. Beer. <laughs> yeah. Hold my beer. And he comes rumbling in like expressly to, to, to get down with with Melkor, and I think that's a that's a really interesting because like all the other Valar have like a purpose, and Focus's <laughs> purpose is to beef with Melkor. Rude. I think that's yes. really funny. Oh my gosh! And also like that whole first war is just like one sentence. Like there was a war, and like okay, well that's it. I guess that's all we're getting. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, it's like maybe, yeah, the entire thing, like from start to finish of like this battle happening and then Melkor running off with his tail tucked between his legs um, is like one paragraph. <laughs> what he chooses to, to focus on and not focus on is bewildering. It's real. <laughs> like there are several examples in the Silmarillion of places where he does and does not give like detail. It's a thing. Yeah, you'll see. <laughs> He the thing the places um, or the parts of this chapter that he has chosen to give more detail than others, given what like I know about his writing style and also like his life and his background um, and reading Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. It doesn't surprise me at all that like the things that he'll go into detail are like nature and beauty. And like, did you know this thing has three names? Yeah. Um, and in three <laughs> different languages. Um, and then he does kind of like glaze over these like violent battles and war. And he's like, yeah, there was a battle. Tolkas came and ended it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Move swiftly yeah. along, reader. <laughs> yes. Um, so it mentions that Melkor brooded in the outer darkness and his hate was given to Tolkas forever and ever. Ooh, he's um, going in the burn book. <laughs> yes oh my gosh i need friend of the pod uh lauren does cosplay on her. tiktok she's amazing she she has a tiktok where she's dressed as the witch king <laughs> and it's to the mean girl sound of of regina george screaming and like running into her room and putting katie in the burn book except for it's like um I think she I think she's putting like Eowyn or something oh, into the great. burn book as the witch king. And so now I need her to be Melkor mm -hmm. drawing and putting Tolkas in the burn book. <laughs> that's very good. That's amazing. Another thing of note is that um, 
everything, you know, they're kind of starting from scratch down here. And so one of the things that they create um, that, okay, let's see. Aule, Yavana, and Varda make the lamps of... Are they uh, the lamps of the Valar? And there are these two really tall. Honestly, I'm kind of just picturing like the eye of Sauron tower from the movie, <laughs> except for instead of with an evil eye, it's like starlight, Ooh. you know? <laughs> it's like the pastel version. It's so nice. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it says one lamp they raised near to the north of Middle Earth, and it was named Iluin. Yeah, Iluin, I think. That's perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Iluin. Okay, great. Doing great. (laughs) And the other was raised in the south, and it was named Ormal. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, but these get destroyed, I think, like on the next page. (laughs) Enjoyable you can. Do these lamps have any significance or connection to anything um, that we know from like Lord of the Rings? No, I don't think so. Uh, by, well, by one degree of separation. <laughs> by one degree of separation. Okay. They. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was like, and these actually were the beginning locations of. Um, what are the 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 the, ta- the two towers? Not the book, and like one of them, but there's. Right. Again, it's been yeah. so long. I know nothing yeah, for again. Sure. I think we're going to And find... one of them is good and one of them is bad. And so I was trying yeah. to remember. I was like, are these like, I was like, ooh, are these like the starting points? Like he does locations. Love, he does love like the two towers motif. But no, that mm-hmm. these are uh, yeah. totally separate. There's. Uh, okay, there cool. is a so reference that, theory. Uh, that well, you'll get very <laughs> shortly theory. in the future. In, in a, like, I think one or two more chapters, you'll see uh, where. That where they're where the the ruin of the lamps becomes relevant uh but otherwise no that's actually kind of a thing that people talk about is like the lamps don't seem to matter <laughs> that much okay i mean it's mostly just that was the first light right the cane that that they sort of had yeah. besides uh starlight mm-hmm. and there's a part somewhere in here it says that you know because one is in the north and one is in the south the area sort of at the center at the middle earth if you will wink wink is the most beautiful inverted land because that's where the light the two lights sort of intermingle and that is kind of yeah where we see things kind of start to start happening with the with the valar who moved down there and i think the other important thing to remember is like the world the way that the land is formed right now gets really scrambled up and we're going to see that later in this chapter um so like Right now, it looks like a Target logo. Yeah, right now, it looks like a Target logo. Yeah. (gasps) Okay. Okay. There's a a big ring, and then there's an island in the middle, and the island in the middle is where the Valar are, and all the land around, that's everything else. And the lamps are at the north and south of that ring. It's literally a Target logo. Yeah. Okay, kind of I'm very familiar uh, <laughs> with the Target logo, of course. Yes, it says, and thereupon the Isle of Almoren in the Great Lake was the first dwelling of the Valar. So yeah, this is a very special location. Also, this is where like I, there always comes, you know, granted this is only like the third, you know, read reading I've done of the Silmarillion. But there definitely seems to be a pattern for me where I'm like, okay, I'm following, I'm following. And then I'm like, and you lost me. And like, <laughs> I definitely was starting to get a little cross-eyed when it was mentioning the building of the lamps, because now we're really building on things that were, you know, taught to us in the previous sections where it's like, okay, so I introduced all of these characters. You know who they are now, right? Yeah. And so it was like, yeah, Aule. Let's see, Yavanna, 
planted the last seeds that she had long devised. Aule at the prayer of Yavanna wrote two mighty lamps or wrought two mighty lamps. Then Varda filled the lamps and Manwe hallowed them. And so I had to be like, okay, wait, who's Yvonne? Yeah. <laughs> who's, who's Ale? What does he do again? Um, okay. Varda, I think she has something with the stars. I don't know. And then Manwe, he's like <laughs> the big guy and like all of this stuff where I'm just like trying to keep track of it. Yeah. It's so funny too, because he kind of does like a Valar roundup at the end of this chapter, but it's like, dude, it's already too late. You're already, what? You're killing me. And I think yeah. that's an important point too about this text is that the Silmarillion, whilst it was always meant to be published together, the Aina Lindale and uh, the Valaquenta, and then two things at the end were originally separate essays, right? So you would just oh, start okay. and have no idea who these people are. Oh, geez. Right? So at least, yeah. so. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. Come on, Tolkien, you're killing us. Jeez. Well, in fairness, it was not as though he prepared these for actual publication. These mm -hmm. are like That's true. his three, four, four, five different drafts that his son and, um, uh oh, name went out of my head. Uh, noted fantasy writer, mumble, mumble, name went out of my head here, uh, sort of squished together. Um, Guy K. His name was th Guy thank K. Thank you. Guy Gavril K. Uh, smushed together to make sense. So there's definitely, it, I would hope probably without justification that Tolkien would have put some thought to a reader, uh, a reader coming in with no context. But again, uh, that is probably a hope without justification. Um, yeah, probably not something he would have done. But it, it, yeah, he, he didn't. This was not something that he sat down and was like, OK, this is ready to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, this is like his son, who was Christopher Tolkien is notoriously uh, preservationist in uh, in method. He was never interested in adding his own stuff to it. Um, even when he was working with a, a you know with with Kay and uh, creating the Silmarillion, which is arguably the most uh, independent work that they did on it, they were very careful about not adding anything, just choosing which pieces to pick. They never independently created anything so it's tolkien's it's still tolkien's fault that we're all confused about the names don't worry i'm with you mary Claire. yeah <laughs> yeah that's so fun like thank you for bringing that up because i don't i don't think i knew that i definitely knew that um christopher tolkien is the person we have to thank for this book that we're <laughs> reading today um no but like i knew that it was his you know efforts basically that we have the silmarillion i did not know that the um, sections that come before this chapter were not like intentionally or originally like meant to be one piece and so that's just so funny that like you would just come into this having yeah no like zero like extra zero knowledge like <laughs> it's crazy yeah I think Tolkien would have would have wanted it all together I think in the foreword Christopher says something like yeah my father did intend that these all be one thing but yeah, just like if you are picking them apart, they this is very much like sort of leaving the reader immediately on a precipice of like, good luck with all these names that nobody can pronounce. Goodbye, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very painful. Um, so uh now that the battle with Melkor has been resolved, there are all these states of peace. They have these two lamps that's made everything really beautiful. They have this um the Isle of Almeron, I say Al Al. Almorin, Al I think. Almorin. Where yeah. everything's really cool. So Manwe decides that there's going to be a huge party. Yeah. 
party time. However, Aule and Tolkas are very weary. I don't know why it mentions that Aule is weary, like given what happened, because like Aule doesn't have anything to do with what happens next with Melkor, <laughs> but Tolkas does. So it, whatever. Um, but it mentions that Aule and Tolkas were very weary. Um, and Melkor knew that they were having this party. He knows that these two guys are probably going to be down for the count and they're not going to be uh, there to deal with him. So he kind of sneaks on over and he says, now Melkor began delving the delving and building of a vast fortress deep under earth beneath dark mountains where the beams of Illuin were cold and dim. That stronghold was named Otumno. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, said that. that sounded great. Great. Um, so he has built himself a little fort underground <laughs> um he's he's made himself like a bat cave if you will mm-hmm. yep. he totally has um, oh no i never thought about that that's amazing i'm very happy right <laughs> well now. i was just thinking because like there's all this stuff about like um you know melkor like living in the darkness or whatever and like that's totally a batman vibe of like i was born in the darkness <laughs> or whatever you know like yeah <laughs> yes oh he's so emo i love it yeah um I also like right at the beginning of the chapter when it says that like Melkor ran away and he brooded. I love the word brood. It's just like so um, emphatic, I guess. I don't know. And so like, yeah, he's just so emo. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, very sneaky of you, Melkor, that like he was like, I don't want to fight this guy again. I'm just going to wait until he's napping because it does <laughs> mention Tolkas espoused Nessa, the sister of Orome. Um, so they had a wedding, I guess, and then went to sleep. Um, and so that's when he was like, now's the time let's act and build this fortress for me to go hide in. Actually, I'm just going to hide here forever. (laughs) He destroys the two, the lights of Illuin and Ormal and cast down their pillars and broke their lamps. And I just had this image in my head of like a cat, just like. (laughs) knocking a lamp off of a table or something you know that's perfect or a glass of water just like staring you in the eye just like (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah and so he breaks the lamps and the shape of arda and the symmetry of its waters in its lands were marred in that time so the first designs of the valar were never after restored I love that he he's so casual about this reference. He's just like, yeah, so the shape is marred and yeah, moving on. Would I feel like he could maybe spend another sentence on the fact that like the lamps were these lamps are like <laughs> gigantic. They're huge. They're like mountain-sized tall mm-hmm. lamps and he just knocks them both over and it's that's where the the actual like shape of middle earth as we know it comes from is he knocks these lamps down and the whole land just gets shattered and what's left after these lamps come breaking down all the valar rush in and they're like whoop gotta save this somehow and just kind of shore up what's left and there's middle earth and that feels this is one of these things where people talk about how like the silmarillion is boring or kind of hard to get through and it shouldn't be Because, man, that's that's dope. Yeah. That's that's real dramatic. That's some pretty exciting (laughs) stuff right there. But he's just like, and they knocked the lamps down. Moving on. So dry. Let's talk about... Let's talk about the party they were having. Right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about dancing. Bummer about all those plants that didn't flower. It's like, buddy, I I love you, but let's talk (laughs) about your... Let's talk about, like, some narrative momentum, my friend. Uh, But, yeah, I think that's such a... 
such a dramatic moment that he just talk about a missed opportunity because it's such a it is and, and these are two important concepts that inform a lot of stuff later on so that mm -hmm. that time of peace he he refers to it as like the spring of arda right and that is something mm -hmm. that like that and then and then when it all gets effed up that's that's arda marred right and jude maybe you can talk about this concept of arda marred because this what i've learned on athrobeth is that this is super important but Artemard he doesn't talk about it yeah arda marred is something that is we we get we we touch that in the Andalidula. that's the idea that with his disruption of the music, uh, Melkor disrupts how Arda should have been. Mm -hmm. He mars the natural progression of how Arda should have been. And the end of the spring of Ar the end of the spring of Arda, that's a lot of repetitive phrases, um, mm -hmm. is the first real evidence of that. Like the rumble that he that they have is is not doesn't necessarily they learn some interesting things. They make snow and whatever and what have you, but this is the first time where they have an original design for how the music told them to make the world and Melkor kicks down their sandcastle and mm -hmm. now they can't do that. And this is the first evidence of Ardamard. And this is a uh, a very complicated, not complicated so much as just like a fundamental concept, uh, particularly with like elven uh, philosophy that comes up over and over again uh, in the essays that Tolkien writes from the elves' point of view. Uh, the Atherbeth, uh, in particular, is very focused on this this idea that Arda is fundamentally flawed mm -hmm. because of Melkor's tampering. His his t marring is in the stuff of everything. There's a volume of the histories of Middle Earth called Morgoth's Ring, and the idea is that Arda is Morgoth's ring. The way the ring Sauron makes the ring, Morgoth yeah. makes Arda his ring. So it's it's this is the first the first real like evidence of that. Yeah, and like while that's not that important at this moment in the book, it is just something to keep in mind kind of as you continue through um, because we see that marring kind of how deep it goes and how uh, how it progresses, right? And how the ripple effects of it um, forever after. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the way that it reshapes the face of Arda is a really dramatic statement about how thoroughly he's ruined their plans for what this what this world should have been. Yeah. In uh, one of the previous sections, we were kind of making fun of um, Melkor and the Ainur because they it mentions that like whatever they built or whatever they did, Melkor would just destroy. <laughs> and I was like, OK, but it says it it says like, oh, they made a mountain and he crushed it into a valley and they made a valley and he brought it up into a mountain. And I'm like, OK, well, then then we're still making mountains and valleys here, you know, yeah. but like. So we were kind of making fun of that. But yeah, this is the first instance of Melkor like actually like actively destroying what they have created. Yeah. So he is able to get away, though, um, and he goes and hides in Otumno and is like, Tolkos can't get me now. Yeah. <laughs> Just try it, jerk. Yeah, the spring of Arda and Almorin was completely destroyed. So they departed from Middle Earth and went to the land of... Amon, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the westernmost of all lands upon the borders of the world. Yeah, so this is another case where they introduce a million names so and places. <laughs> and I was like, it's too many places. Cool. I, it's too many places. So it's west shores looked upon the outer sea that is called by the elves e Echaia. Completely unimportant term for. Yeah. <laughs> you don't ever have to, you will never need that word. So you can just yeah. let it flit right out of your mind. <laughs> we goodbye. Encircling 
the kingdom of Arda. Um, let's see. Beyond it are the walls of the night. The east shores of Amman were the uttermost end of the Belagare, mm-hmm. the great sea of the west. Let's see. And then it says, upon the shores of the sea, they raised the Pelori. Mm-hmm. The mountains of Amman, highest upon earth, whose summit and above all the mountains of the Pelori <laughs> was the height upon whose summit Manwe set his throne. And <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird says, name. <laughs> Tanaquitel, the elves, named that holy mountain and Aulasi everlasting whiteness and Elorina crowned with stars and many names beside. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Sindar spoke of it in their later tongue as Aman Ulos. Mm-hmm. We Ulos. That was good. Those oh, names just are like really hard. So many, so <laughs> many names were in places yeah. and and like some of those names are all for the same thing and some of them are for like different things and so i'm just like i don't know where we are we're on a really tall mountain yeah in the west <laughs> yeah yeah taniquetl the is the tallest peak right within the Pelori mountains it has i mean i think what's interesting when he gives these names like oyalase right everlasting whiteness or elarina covered with our crowned in stars or aman uilas what we're getting is this idea that like there are i don't know to me this that part of what I love about Tolkien is that like his world feels really big, right? And all, so when we so he gives us one name for something, but he also gives us twenty five other names. And what that tells me as a reader, without telling me explicitly, is that like there are a lot of different cultures here that are just like myths that we have, like where so many different cultures in our own world have myths about the same kind of things. They have different names for the same things. That was also happening in in his own uh, mythos. And I think that's so cool. Mm. So even if you don't love, you don't have to remember all those names at all, but just, just maybe we're internalizing that like, wow, this was an important mountain and everyone had their own name for it. um, And that is a cool thing. Yeah. 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 That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. So yeah. So this is kind of like their new hangout spot because the old one got destroyed by Melkor. Thanks for that, dude. (laughs) Um, So behind the walls of the Pelori, the Valar established their domain in that region, which is called Valinor. So I had heard the name Valinor previously. I always thought it was like, um, I always thought it was like heaven. I mean, like, I think it's implied that like, it's like this mountain is so tall and they're on top of the mountain that maybe it is in, you know, the heavens possibly but yeah i was just imagining it as like a heavens type place and not like oh no it's like a literal like it's a literal physical place that they were in so (laughs) isn't that interesting yeah you'll see why there is a the way that the lord of the rings depicts talks about valinor it very much does give you the impression that it's an otherworldly place Mm -hmm. and that's that's it and it should be and it is and you'll the more you read uh further in the silmarillion you will discover why that is but uh this that's like in, internal history. You'll read why that why that becomes true of Valinor. Externally, um, Valinor is one of a series of places that Tolkien wrote about um, that were his stand-in for the traditional home of the fairy folk. Uh, Tolkien loved the fairies, and he always, in every version of everything he wrote about Middle Earth, going back to his very first efforts in like the early twenties or the early 10s, uh, 
always had a, a connection back to these these early fairy tales and these these ideas of an other land. And mm -hmm. um, so there was always a version of that. And Valinor is just sort of the last version, the last evolution of his concepts that very much moved away from the traditional concepts of fairy, but became and became his own thing. But they they all retain that otherworldliness, that loom, that uh, sort of liminal quality. Very well said. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, in Valinor, it's it's really cool. Basically, is a summary um, and really <laughs> nice. There are mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they have mansions and like beautiful you know scenery and everything um <clears throat> it also mentions okay let's see it says they sat silent upon their thrones of council in the mahana oh geez fun fact mahana nexar yeah. Yeah. the ring of doom yeah. near to the golden gates of valmar and the reason was it like what does that mean what <laughs> so the reason why that sounds that word sounds so left field compared to everything else is that word is in what's called uh, uh, Valian, which is the language he created to be the language of the Valar, as opposed okay. to Quenya. Everything else we've been reading so far is in Quenya, but he okay. created a language that is specifically for the Valar, which is like every word is like 14 syllables long and it's got a whole bunch of consonant clusters that the other languages don't have. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a few words in Quenya that are descended from Va Valian. But that word that I can't, I mean, that's one. I think it's Mahanaksar. Yeah. Mahanaksar is a specific, is, is a word that is just straight Valian. And that's yeah. why it sounds like a mouthful of, of gravel as opposed to like the more liquid uh, sounds of Quenya. Yeah. Is Quenya like an elven language? Quenya is one of the two elven languages. Uh, okay. It is the older of the two. Um, there's, a, as the elven languages descended, Quenya became the primary tongue of the Noldoran elves. And then the Sindarin, Sindarin became the, the tongue of the gray elves. The, the rest, the, the elves I'm trying to Lots to of spoilers. Yeah. There's lots yeah. of elf families and they all have different languages, right? Basically yeah. There's two saying. main, there's two main elf tongues, Quenya and Sindarin. In Lord of the Rings, almost everybody is speaking Sindarin. Quenya okay. takes the form of like elf Latin. It's what... Okay. Aragorn is it. singing in the movies. Aragorn is singing in Quenya in during his coronation, and it is primarily used as a as a language of academia by the by the third age. Got um, it. Okay. But the other part okay. of this, like this yeah. ring, so the Mahanaksar, the ring of doom, and maybe Jude, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. But I think, I mean, Tolkien loves the word doom, right? He uses it all the time. And I think what he means here is doom is in the the uh, destiny, right? Rather yeah. than like your fate. Like prophecy rather than or destiny. Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then that, so it sounds really metal, but really it's more like, you know, the, the ring of destiny. So I guess it's also kind of metal. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. It's where they were like, it's where they would set out judgment and discuss the fate okay. of things. It, it wasn't where they like murdered people or anything <laughs> like that. Got it. Um, but I, yeah, so I saw Ring of Doom and I was like, wait a minute, we're not even there yet. I thought we weren't like, we're really far away. Yeah. Like, like I thought that doesn't even happen for like thousands and thousands of years. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> the other thing of importance, and again, this is something where, you know, that battle between... Melkor and Tolkas was a paragraph. He dedicates like a full page to this section. Yavanna uh, creates the two trees of Valinor and basically they're really pretty and they in the like the way that they bloom 
and die and bloom again is how time is invented. The end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Telperion over mm-hmm. here and Laurelin. As a non-visual <laughs> podcast, he's oh yeah, I'm gesturing. I'm sorry. I have, oh, I have so our, the trees aren't like actually, I was imagining them like right next to each other. They're not like in the same place. They are all oh, They're both growing out of the same mount, right? What is it called? Yeah. Um, a, a Zelahar? Is that the name of it? A Zelahar. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's like a green um, mound. Yeah. I'm gesturing to the listeners. I'm gesturing to the Atherbeth logo, which is my background, which has Laurel and oh, Telperion. Oh, I thought you were me. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I um, see. Okay. Well, it's, well, I'm glad you guys came up for this chapter then. I totally <laughs> meant to do that. It was perfect. Yeah. So these two trees, one has dark green leaves, uh, let's see, shining silver, countless flowers, a dew of silver light. And the other bore leaves of a young green, like the new opened beach. Their edges were of glittering gold. And yeah, Telperion and Laurelin. And it's noted that they have many names in different songs and whatnot. Because, of course, Tolkien can't, you know, everything Mm -hmm. has to have a million (laughs) names. Um, Thankfully, he doesn't go into those names. Can I just say one of the names from Laurelin is Malinalda, which I can only remember because it sounds like Alinalda. And (laughs) that's funny to me for some reason. So, yeah, there you go. Malinalda. To me, me it sounds like Maldonado's, which is a pizza place we used to go to when we were in high school. school. Oh, that's great. great. (laughs) So, yeah, there's like a full paragraph describing like what they look like in detail and their names and then describing like, okay, every seven hours, this tree would start to die. And then like two hours later, this one's and like all this stuff. Long story short, this is how they mark the start and ends of their days um, when one of them um, starts blooming. Let's see. It says each day of the Valar and Amon contained 12 hours and ended with the second mingling of the lights in which Laurelin was waning, but Telperion was waxing. Thus the days of the bliss of Valinor and thus began also the count of time. And I was like, wow, thank you, Tolkien. I was definitely like really wondering, like, what about (laughs) time? How does time, you know, how does like the day work here? That was something that like, until he started describing it, I was like, I just, you know, yeah. And like, it seems to operate under a similar system i guess of hours of like laurelin is blooming maybe at midnight until Perion is blooming at noon you know yeah so like that i was not questioning how time functions at all <laughs> but tolkien made sure to explain it anyway it's interesting the one thing that they say a little earlier in the chapter about those lamps that we first heard about the first light that came is that uh they were like an i think it, the term is like an unceaseless day so there was no sort of nighttime oh yeah when the lamps were mm-hmm. there so so this i guess was kind of the first time they had like a nighttime um which i think is kind of interesting yeah. right and it's also interesting i think this is an interesting chapter because this is a chapter the silmarillion is a is a work that is not really it i don't think it really is appreciated in the first time that you read it because it's very much a work where tolkien was working out all these myths and stories and he didn't write it linearly so he would write something and then go back and build up the foundation for it so for example your the count of time thing that seems like kind of a weird throwaway thing but how time worked was of an enormous concern for him. He went back in the most recent uh, volume that was published uh, that was edited by Carl Hostetter. He published like 
pages and pages of notes of Tolkien's about how time was counted, like calculating the ages of the lamps and the trees and so on and so forth and how like all of Tolkien's thoughts on how this worked. Um, so it's it's one of these things where it seems like a trivial, there's a lot of things I think is what I'm getting at, especially in this chapter that seem like very weird, trivial references mm -hmm. to, to get like, why does he care about this? Why does he care about the trees so much? Why is he focusing on these trees so much? That as you read, once you've read the Silmarillion and then you come back and read it again, you get why, because these there are things in the Silmarillion that are enormously important, but the only way he's not really telling you that they're important, except by the word count. Now, that's yeah. not consistent because there are things that are very important here that he's just going to be like, oh, and this happened. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. but there are a lot of these things that he devotes a lot of words to. He does so because they're going to have a weight, a narrative weight down the chapters. And for example, the... the the count of time and the trees are, are are two of them. Yeah, I think too, like the whole time thing is interesting because right now, like the Valar are the only one, the Valar and, and um, the Maya, right, are sort of the only ones and animals, I guess, are on the earth, right? There are timeless beings. Um, then the elves come in and they're also sort of timeless beings, right? And so this idea of time is maybe not, I don't know, I'm just kind of working this out in my head right now, but like maybe it's not as important to timeless beings, but it is important. It's an interesting point I hadn't considered. Like, who gives a shit about time until, right, until yeah. much later timeless, on? Who cares, right? But so, but I mean, here's, you know, but here's the thing, like, then we get the last babies, the men, and time is real important to us, right? Because we have such a limited amount of it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with that, but I just think it's kind of a cool that it's in no, here. No, it's an interesting point. That it's in here. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I also think one of my favorite parts about this section uh is Nienna's inclusion in the creation of the trees. Uh, I have a particular fixation on Nienna. I actually have her tattooed on my shoulder over so here. So Nienna is, tell, tell them who she is. Just remind uh, us. Nienna is one of the Valar. She is uh, acquainted with grief, is how Tolkien describes her. She's one of the sort of the higher order of the Valar. And her whole deal is she remembers all of the, all of the, the, torments and and griefs of the world and grieves for them but she also those who hearken to her learn endurance and wisdom and is compassion. kind of how he puts it mm -hmm, and yeah. compassion um i i think she's just an enormously interesting character she gets a lot more she has like two lines three lines in the silmarillion but in some of the expanded some of the other writings he's done she gets more more writing but i think she's just a a Super, super interesting character. But here it's like she's the one who like waters them, right? Is that what she yeah. does? I was kinda, yeah. yeah, I was kind of wondering about that because it says um, it really focuses on Yavanna like growing these trees. But and then it says Nienna thought in silence and watered the mold and not not mold like the thing that kills you. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> whatever. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, Nina thought in silence and watered the mold with tears. So she, I guess it's just now occurring to me for so I was like confused by her. I was like, well, wait, why was Nina mentioned here if Yavanna is the one who grew them, but she watered them? Yeah. Okay, got it. And specifically her, her whole thing is she remembers, mm, that might be spoiler, so maybe I won't, I don't want to, I don't want to get, it's like one line. Um, the watering is not what's important. It's- okay. It's her presence there. Is that what's important? well? It's it's she has involved. What yeah. it's why she's it's around. yeah. I would say it's not it's not just that it's not water she's contributing to the to the to the trees. Okay, mm -hmm. tears. It's Got tears. It. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention 
Uh, one of my favorite bits here is it is it mentioned is is tuna mentioned in this section or is that later? No, it's later. It's later. Damn. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien's complete disregard for what things may or may not sound like in the real world is like, look, I don't make the rules. This is what Quenya says this word should be. Like Alanalda, Malanalda. It sounds silly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, if I make up a word and the words and the word is tuna. And that happens to be a super important word. Yeah. Um. So I've been playing The Witcher 3. Nice. Recently. And there is a character named Doodoo. <laughs> D-U-D-U. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. 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 It's not just like a passing by character. Like it's someone who, at, 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 like, depending on like where you are, you know, in the story that they mention a lot, like every character is saying doodoo. And I'm like... <laughs> Could you not have localized that a little bit differently? Right. Yeah. How do we? That is what's tricky because originally, yeah, it was like The Witcher was originally w- written in Polish. So yeah. that was possibly something that was lost in translation. Apparently that author is similar to Tolkien in that he's very intense about like the naming that he the naming that he does. So I, I imagine that's one of those things where he was just like, no, I'd rather leave it like doo-doo. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Like I was just like, what, what is happening here? <laughs> Never said doo-doo so much in my yeah, life. Yeah, with, with Tolkien, he just didn't care when Quenya ki- churned out uh, words that were a little bit weird. Like in English, sounded like, you know, tuna. Like a he tuna was like, well, yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> then we start learning more about... Um, so, so, okay, basically, I think it comes down to this. It was a lot of words for what I think it came down to explaining that... Okay, so there are the Noldor. Is that a kind of elf? That is one of the okay. one of the tribes of elves, yes. Great. Okay. So I think I've got this straight. It says that Aule is the Noldor elves favorite guy. And there he's he's their friend, their buddy. Mm-hmm. Then there is the Va- Vanyar, Vanyar. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Vanyar. Um, and they love Manwe. He's their fave. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one sorry comparing my oh yeah the hilari hilari love olmo yep. and olmo is their fave yep and that that was like a page that i just summarized <laughs> exactly because you sort of already met these valar in the la in the valaquenta right so it's a little bit of like okay we already know this stuff yeah that's what yeah because it mentions that um Aule is like working hard there's a tick i don't know if you guys are on tiktok but there's a sound that's like i work hard to make this house a home <laughs> and that just seems like Aule to be of like he's working hard yeah. <laughs> to make this land a home for you know the children of Iluvatar, um Aule and creating and it yeah they're, well, a, and they're this the hard Aule, workers they are and this chapter this chapter this paragraph or whatever this few sentences about Aule is so important because he just again Tolkien offhand goes like oh yeah the Noldor they also made the first gems and the fairest yeah, of all these I gems. noticed that too yeah it says right. the Noldor also it was who first achieved the making of gems and the fairest of all gems were the Silmarils blah, 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 and they are lost right um <laughs> I've heard the Silmaril, like I've heard that before. And I think someone has probably like told me about it previously. I don't remember too much, but I was like, wait a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Also, like the name of this book is the Silmarillion. Right. Like that seems kind of major to me. Right. But like, again, what? it's all foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Like like we won't even talk about it now because this is what this is what this whole like um uh what's this part called? Sorry, the Quintus Silmarillion, right? This is a story of the stupid Silmarils. But I just love that it's just like, oh, it's just pepper dropped in here and then don't worry about it for a few chapters. It's fine. Oh, like they're lost. They're gone. Is we don't a, know where they went. Is it a spoiler to translate Quenta Silmarillion? You can say it. Yeah, it's the history of the Silmarils. Yeah. Okay. So this whole like next fleet of chapters are like about these stupid gems and we already know. So it's sort of spoiler, but which are lost. Right. But it's the, it's like the unfolding insane story of what happens and the insane ripple effects that come from this and people's dumb choices that I can't wait for it to listen to your, you know, following <laughs> yeah. episodes. I can't wait. I'm, because v- I'm v- oh, very excited to hear you get to the chat to never mind. Just gonna it let it matter. slide. Don't worry about okay, it. But okay. but you have a, a awesome like mountain. Of you have a ride fun. ahead of you. Let's yeah. put it like that. Yeah. But again, oh, it's I'm just aware. like hinted at here in this like out weird outlay section. It's so weird. Oh, Tolkien. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Let's see. Also of note, the va- the Vanyar um, love Manway because of like song and poetry. So they kind of seem to me. Um, they fancy. To be yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> like the higher up elves i guess of yeah like, re- like regalness of like we're like refined culture people <laughs> they're like pinky up teacup people hey yeah. yeah yeah i love in the manway section too doesn't it say something about how like eagles and hawks like give him messages they're like hey manway pss, pss, pss. they're like early twitter for him like eagles. yeah and also i was like hmm eagles perhaps mm-hmm. wink wink e- like eagles eagles i know and I was like, no they were <laughs> yeah at this point they're probably just like now they're just like birds they're just bird. but like they birds. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see yeah olmo does not because we'll remember from the previous chapter olmo lives alone he's a loner dude but he's happy for- he's a bachelor he's not a loner yeah he's a bachelor he likes his alone, his own space, you know. <laughs> Olmo is one of my other time. favorite Valar. I love Olmo. Uh, I think he's awesome. Yeah, uh, I agree. Go ahead. Sorry, Jude. I was just stepped on you. I just I I appreciate very much that he is. He has a a a, a real love of Middle Earth. I think he has a lot of uh, integrity and dignity. And a lot of the the Valar come across as just sort of like snooty god archetypes. And Olmo has a has a lot more dimension and character. Um, mm-hmm. I also really like Asa and Weenin. Mm-hmm. I think they're really interesting little gods. Like you know, you've got one who's just like the guy all sailors are afraid of, and then his wife, who all sailors pray to, to be like, please, please restrain <laughs> your husband so we can get yeah. get home. Yeah. Um, that that feels very lived in. Yeah. That detail. Yeah. Yeah, Olmo is great. This, yeah, I mean, I think Jude, what you're like getting to, there's that line, something like he never, he never forsook Middle Earth, right? Like even when yeah. Middle Earth was all broken and busted, and all the Valar were like, "Goodbye, we're going to go live in Valinor alone." Bye bye, nobody gets in. He is one of the only two that still like goes back and like cares for it until the end of days. Like I love that. That's yep. very beautiful and yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it says, and thus it was by the power of Olmo that even under the darkness of Melkor, life coursed still through many secret loads and the earth did not die. So he's like everyone's abandoned, you know, middle. They left because Melkor ruined the party and (laughs) almost like we can't just give up on this place. Like I'll I'll chill down here. I'll make sure like 
it's taken care of, I guess. Y'all have fun up there, whatever. Yeah. I also really love that it said, and I, I have literally no idea where this is said, but it's not really a spoiler, that the the last echo of the music is preserved in the sound of water. Yeah, I think that's in the Ainulindale or something, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. And I think that says a lot about the character of Olmo, that he is the Lord of Waters and that that's his domain and that he he has sort of, you know, that he's immersed in that echo of of the music i think mm-hmm. that it has to inform his character yeah i think like and so, so the dovetail of this is like yavana the next paragraph is like the other valar who does not abandon us basically right she's the next she like she still comes back it's her and ulmo and she comes back and like cares for the hurts of melkor whatever it is um yeah. whatever it says um that's lovely yeah um yeah, therefore, leaving the house of Aule and the flowering meads of Alinor, she would come at times and heal the hurts of Melkor. And then Orome, tamer of beasts, um, would also come every now and then. And he would, let's see, pursuing to the death the monsters and fell creatures of the kingdom of Melkor. Yeah, basically, it seemed to me that like a lot of, so these are the Valar that are like, committed to keeping this place, keeping Middle-earth, like we've mentioned, alive still for the children of Iluvatar. And then there are those other guys up in Valinor. Valinor, what did I just say? Valinor, (laughs) (laughs) who um, seem to be oblivious because like Melkor is still down here because it mentions, you know, Mm -hmm. that um, he's still that like he has these monsters and creatures that Orome has to like fend off and fight against and it says but even as Orame passed the servants of Melkor would gather again and the lands were filled with shadows and deceit so definitely like a lot of like despite like what Olmo and Yavanna and Orame and some of the other guys are doing there's still something darker coming something in the distance that that despite what they are doing despite these like God's efforts Melkor has something scheming in the back of his head their best despite their best efforts they are melkor outclasses all of them by a couple orders of magnitude he he's you know he was the greatest of all of them he you know he's this you know morning star lucifer morning star figure and uh they can't compete with him individually uh and that's kind of a recurring theme that you'll see over the course of the silmarillion this, this idea that they can't it, it will it takes all of them to to step to Melkor. So the last major thing that happens in this chapter is that we finally get to see who are who are these children. Um <laughs> we've been hearing a lot about the children of Iluvatar. And so first we learn about the elves. And I love this. No, it says, if ever in their dealings with elves and men, the Ainur have endeavored to force them when they would not be guided, seldom has this turned to good howsoever good the intent so i love the idea that like the children of luvatar are down here and they can do their own thing and the valar and the ainor i guess they you know they have this vision and this understanding of what luvatar wanted but like you know it's very much like a metaphor of like you know a parent and a child of like you can want your kid to like do the best thing but if you force them to do it or whatever it's never going to end up well and so like they still have this um kind of like aspect of like free will to like figure things out for themselves Mm -hmm. whether that goes like you know good or bad for them yeah you know we'll see (laughs) some good foreshadowing there (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, uh, the children are from the third theme which the the Ainur have no no knowledge of they were not a part of the third theme so anytime they they try and tinker in that 
uh, it it go it it goes badly. Yeah, very badly. <laughs> there are elves, which we know are you know immortal essentially, but the men he gives um the gift of men, <laughs> basically just saying like you're gonna die. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because uh, Steph has serious beef with the idea of death being a gift. So yeah, I, I'm, oh, I'm with you. I was like, you. what? Okay. what is this gift? And I guess it's like... I'm rolling my sleeves um, up for oh this boy. topic. <laughs> like, I can see, like, I can see how, like, immortality is... that They both have their pros and cons, you know? Like, immortality, that's great, but also it's like, wow, that's what, like, have y'all lived life? It's exhausting. Right? <laughs> like, all I don't want to do forever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So... The reason why it's a gift is because elves are not truly immortal. They are immortal within the bounds of Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. So when Middle-earth ends, and Middle-earth has, Middle-earth is not eternal. It has a distinct ending point. The song had an ending. When Middle-earth ends and the song ends, elves will disappear. Mm-hmm. And there is no conception of, of afterlife for the elves. Right. They will vanish. Their, their role is to be within Middle-earth. They have no mm-hmm. conception of an existence outside of Middle-earth. The gift of men is to leave Middle-earth and return to to Eru at the end of, after their lives and have an existence outside of Middle-earth afterward. That's the gift. Yeah. The so gift we... is that they don't vanish into nothingness at the end of, at the end of, uh, the run of Middle Earth. Right. And so like this is really a theological concept, right, that Tolkien is introducing here, this idea of like Badly, the everlasting yes. uh like the afterlife versus like the this idea of the unknown. So yeah, so that's so okay, so I get it. And there's also a line And in, in fairness, here. he's not introducing sorry to interrupt you, but no, go ahead. in fairness, he's not introducing any of this here. <laughs> I'm I'm giving you a wider context that is not introduced anywhere in the Silmarillion. <laughs> Like this is all stuff that w- that is introduced like outside in his essays and and like this is stuff that is just like hinted at a little bit in the Silmarillion a little bit but like he doesn't really touch on the gift other a whole lot like the full especially the idea of the the nature of elven immortality is something that he towards the end of his life he gave a lot of thought to and he was writing multiple essays about the nature of elven immortality i have like three different books on my shelf with essays about it or collections of essays about his thoughts on the subject so like Mm -hmm. he gets really into it but like at the time where he was writing what was published as a silmarillion he wasn't as concerned about this topic as he would be later on and i think too there's a really important uh little couple of sentences in here that if i had like that has changed my beef with it because I yes I used to have this beef and now I sort of get it but in this in this chapter sort of at the end what it says is Melkor cast his shadow upon this gift right upon the idea of death and he confounded it with darkness and brought forth evil out of good and fear out of hope so I think like the idea of death is not supposed to be a scary thing Melkor is the one who made us think it's scary and made us fear it and I think that is so vital Right. Because otherwise, how does it it doesn't feel like a gift if we think it's evil, but it does if it means we're like going to get closer to Eru or whatever it is that comes afterwards. Right. So I think and I think that's important to kind of remember. And I think that is a nuance that I missed the first time I read it. And I was just like, what? That's not a gift. That's lame. I don't I want to live forever. This is stupid, (laughs) stupid Tolkien. I'm sick of this guy. And so what is it? I can't remember what men are called. 
doesn't it say they're called Atani? Oh no, but I mean, I think they have like a special nickname, like the guests, the after uh, guests, the aftercomers. Oh yeah, they get That's a lot strange. of really uh, backhanded compliment names yeah. from the elves. <laughs> I love, I love this part. It says, um, "Yet the elves believe that men are often a grief to Ma- to Manwe, who knows most of the mind of Iluvatar." For it seems to the elves that men resemble Melkor, most of all the Ainur, although he has ever feared and hated them, even those that served him. So the elves are just like, men, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those lines where it really does emphasize that the Silmarillion is an elven document. It yeah. was written by elves. And this is mm-hmm. where you can really see that it's like, oh, okay, right. Snarking about men. Got it. Yeah. And I think that what it means here, when they say that it's kind of like that men are similar to Melkor, I don't think it necessarily means that they're evil, but that it means that Melkor, you know, was never content to to do what he was told or like to stay within the music that was already there. He always he was adventurous and he wanted to do his own thing and he wanted to strike out. And part of the gift that was given to men that really wasn't given to elves is is free will, right? So elves very much have this like fate, right? This is their they're all about fate and destiny and blah da blue. And me- and men are like these wild cards that are given free will. Um and they can make their own future and they can do whatever they want. And so they're kind of like I don't know, to an elf, I'd be like, get away from me, weird little newcomer. Like, yeah, <laughs> away, with, away, 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 go. Yeah. All the children, the, the whole concept of, of like fate versus free will is really, is a really, really interesting one. Um, and the idea of how much free will do the elves have versus the men have is a super cool topic. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting point. Like how much do men have more free will than elves? And is that a Melkorish? trait that they're referring to there i think that's Mm -hmm. cool yeah yeah oh yeah um the men are also called the strangers (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's what what i mean about or the strangers backhanded compliments because then they explain it and they're like oh no but we mean it in a good way like it's (laughs) it's it's not an insult when we call you like the rude interrupting butts like you know it's complimentary Really, And then we end the chapter on this kind of like a little bit of like a foreboding note. Yet of old, the Valar declared to the elves in Valinor that men shall join in the second music of the Ainur, whereas Iluvatar has not revealed what he purposes for the elves after the world's end. And Melkor has not discovered it. Yeah. So like, ooh, mystery. What do the elves do? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of touching back on what I was talking about before with the the elves being immortal. A co-immortal. I can't remember exactly the phrase he uses, but immortal along with Middle-earth. Like humans Mm -hmm. get to ride along into whatever comes after Middle-earth, but elves. Right. Yeah. And Melkor, even Melkor and all of his like misplaced wisdom doesn't even know, right? He has no yeah. idea because none of them know the true like mind of Eru, right? And what, yeah. what Eru really wants. I th- yeah, it's, um, it, yeah, it kind of just leaves. It's like, and Melkor hasn't discovered it. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't yeah. feel like an end. It's like, oh, okay. Well, we're done. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I guess it's like, okay, more on that later. Right. I guess, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's got Stay such tuned. a. He has such an, uh, not unusual, but he has such a particular mode, I guess is the way I want to put it, of of writing. A very, you can tell what he's trying, who he's trying to emulate. He's trying to write in this mythic, in this yeah. epic 
style. Uh, but also, I think it, there are t- places where it, where some of these chapters feel unfinished, where they feel abrupt. And this is one of those mm-hmm. ones where it's just like, whoop, and you just bonk into the end of the chapter. And that's the end of it. I feel like if he had, you know, had he been forced to publish it the way he was forced to publish The Lord of the Rings, I, I suspect he would have actually wrapped up th- that chapter in a slightly more elegant fashion. Um, yeah, but- that's a great point. Because Christopher yeah. was very particular about not amending, not not changing anything, just publishing what he had in front of him. You get the last the last coherent thought that Tolkien had. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and like Christopher says in the foreword, you know, it's good to keep in mo- mind that th- this material was written like basically starting in 1917 through the end of Tolkien's life. And so, and as Jude had said earlier, there's like five different versions of a lot of this stuff, right? But some of it there isn't. So some of it he just wrote once and kind of left it, and some of it he went back over and over again. And what Christopher says in the foreword of the Silmarillion or at least the version that I was using is that like, yeah, you can tell that some of things are maybe like they don't fit as well. Like they, they weren't, they weren't kind of revised as much as other things. So I'm not saying that this is one of them, but it just feels a bit like, yeah, he just kind of kicked the can and was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. I have not read the histories of this portion of the Silmarillion as well as I have other things, but I, I I would have to go look and see how many versions of this chapter there are, but I would imagine that there's at least two or three. I don't sure. this even though it, it ends very abruptly, I would not imagine that this is one that he just did a one a one off of. Yeah. It's a cool chapter. I mean, that's the thing. This chapter is seven pages long. Like right, seven or eight pages. <laughs> and you yeah. get like the formation yeah. of the world, this night and day time time. And then you get like the fate and free will and eternal life and death and everything shoved into like seven pages. Man, that's it's that's it's not a heavy seven pages. pages. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why and this is how it starts. So I think the Silmarillion is gonna feel more fun as readers go forward because this is just a super heavy, dense old chapter. But it gets more and it's also like not that narratively driven, right? It's not like really a story. It really is like Jude was saying, like a myth. So as you go on, you're gonna get to more stories and and it's gonna tease out and I think be a little bit lighter and easier and fun. This is a really tough chapter to start with. I think. Okay, I'm relieved to hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say it's the hardest chapter in the Silmarillion, but it's probably I can't I can only think of one that would be harder. So. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's tough. Stupid Tolkien. Come on. Well, I look forward to things theoretically going smoother from here <laughs> yeah. on out. We'll we'll see. Only time will tell, you know. Yeah. Um well, Jude and Steph, thank you so much for joining me. Um, do you have anything that you want to share with the audience and where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so you can find um, Atherbeth on uh, wherever you, great podcasts are acquired. Uh, we are on Twitter at Atherbeth underscore cast. Um, and you can find us at, what's our, is it Atherbeth? What's our website? I forget. Oh, God. Uh, Podcast.atherbeth.com. Yeah. And you can find me if you're interested in me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the North Four. And Jude is. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Aramitic Jude. Yeah. So come over, to, come over, check out Aftermath if you feel like going into any of this deep dive stuff. Um, yep. But I got to say. We have all kinds this... of weird episodes that you can dive into. <laughs> yeah. You want to hear about like horses or you want to hear about like 
Like elf souls? I don't know. I don't know. We've got you covered on all those weird topics. So Yeah. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, go to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our shows like Perspective Z. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. You can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsApp and Instagram at MCTurndownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can become a sponsor of the podcast like... Johan, Johan, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. I so much appreciate it. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please make sure to rate and review on whatever platform you are listening. But I have to say, this is such a great way of doing this. Mary Claire, what a great idea. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having us on. This has been amazing. This was a ton of fun. Well, thank you both. Um, Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, Have fun. Yeah, it's okay if you can't pronounce anything. I would say, hey, give the audiobook a try if you don't, because because then you don't have to sound out all those annoying names, and you can fall asleep if you want. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.